0: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt?
1: I am eating a pizza, as is required in my culture, so you know who I'm descended from.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to get into that in a second, because we have a topic for the at least the beginning of this episode, folks. Uh, but for those of you at home, if you have a question for this podcast or any of our podcasts, or if you have a topic you want us to cover, you feel free to send those into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com specify which show it's for so that we, uh, we know, uh, if you don't want to send us an email, you can go ahead and send us those topics and questions to our discord channels. We have one set aside for our Patreon supporters at Uh, Patreon Q and podcast questions, and if you're not a Patreon supporter, again, we understand, but you still want to send us something on Discord, we do have our uh, Q and podcast questions channel. Be sure, again, to specify what show they're for. We are going to get to some questions today, possibly, but we're going to start today with a topic that, well, last night kind of got me on a little bit of a tirade, and uh, I felt it was something that we should talk about a little bit today, and it's cultural representation in media. Now, the reason that this comes up, and I'm not going to mince words about it, is that National Hispanic Heritage Month for the United States is coming up and starts on September 15th and ends on October 15th. And during this time frame, usually, we get lots of uh, companies doing what they do, the same thing they do with Pride Month, is trying to directly target audiences and show that they are you know, they care about us or, or whatever the case is. Some companies do this better than others, and some companies do this all year round, uh, and it's definitely reflective in media at the time. reason this came up is because DC Comics, one of the comic companies that have really been formative for a lot of us, uh, is has revealed some special covers for some of their Hispanic characters, which all appear to be very caricature-ish and very stereotypical and don't actually really highlight uh, what it is to be, in this case, Hispanic. And I'm looking at Blue Beetle with swinging through the air or flying through the air with burritos. Kyle Rayner, who is you know Hispanic, standing with a Viva la Mexico flag, bag of tamales. Because I know that when I want to look at my heritage, that's the first thing I look for is what kind of food they're eating. This goes to the top the the comment that Matt made earlier. Now. It is a tricky subject because everybody is going to feel a very certain way about it. And I want to preface this by saying these are all our opinions. Uh, and you will certainly have your own. But I do feel very strongly about this, especially if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know why characters like Miles Morales mean a lot to me and why representation in a proper manner matters. What do you think, Matt?
1: What do I think? Okay. Um,. I feel like I'm, I'm going to start this with something I don't think should be controversial, but seems like it might. Uh, if you are a white person and you are going to in some way portray people who are not white, you should be doing some research. And especially for something that is the cover to a, to a comic book here in this case. Your cover does not have a plot. It's a cover. You have an image and that image there's ways to, to for that image to honor the heritage of the characters. Um I've recently that both DC and Marvel have done have done Pride months. And those were actually pretty good for the most part. I'm looking at some of these covers for the DC Heritage you know, the Hispanic Heritage month. Uh here's uh the the question, the current question who's uh I believe it's Detective Montoya has it become is, the question. It is
0: Detective Montoya.
1: She's got um I think it's I don't know what country's flag it is, I'm sorry. But the flag's behind her, and that's fine. And then she's surrounded by fruit. Why is she surrounded by fruit? Are, are they, you know, they're fruits. That's that's great. You couldn't come up with anything else for her to be doing than standing there surrounded by fruit? But but let's now move over to to Hawkgirl, who in this one, it's the Multiversity Teen Justice Hispanic Heritage Month variant. So I'm assuming this is the Hawkgirl from that comic. Um, she is wearing an apron and picking up a bunch of uh, plantation... I can't, I can't read this Antenico, uh fritos. She's, she's picking fried, up a fried bunch plantains. of plantains. Yeah. She's picking up a bunch of trays at the window to, to apparently be the waitress and bring them to other people that that's the cover for her for task force. Z Hispanic heritage month cover. We have Bane. Bane is Hispanic. Remember that Bane is from South America. Um, I believe he's from an Island prison sort of thing. And his, to honor his heritage there yet again, he's having some food. He is eating something. I can't even see what it is. It's too small, but there's a, a, a chef next to him looking very upset. Apparently he's stiffed the bill or something. I can't tell. I mean, yeah, Gabe let's, let's not
0: talk about that either. Cause like yeah. that's, uh, clearly, we all, all of us Hispanic folks stiffed the bill, because that's that's what's part well, of our I heritage. Mean, it is, right? also
1: looks like he's killed a bunch of people in the room, so also possibly true. he's just mad about that. I don't know. But here we go. There's the the uh, Blue Beetle cover. He's eating, I think, burritos. Honestly, these are so poorly drawn, I couldn't tell what kind of food they are. But regardless, yeah, he's jumping around and eating, because, you know, Mexican people, jumpy and eaty. Uh, then we have Jessica Cruz, whose cover would be fine. Big hammer, bunch of supervillains on the ground. That'd be fine. Except that she's, of course, also eating what looks to be possibly a uh,
0: taco burrito hybrid.
1: Yeah, we don't know what that is. But again, it's eating because that's what they do. Finally, um, for Blood Syndicate, Hispanic Heritage Month, I don't recognize the character. He has a nine on his arm. I don't know who he is. But I mean, they're having some kind of family dinner thing. This is the best one because they're doing something. And it's kind of cool to show them all together having some kind of dinner that would be fine i mean except for the fact that all the covers so far have involved food the kyle rayner one is even worse because he's just standing there originally he was standing there holding his power ring uh with a with a mexican flag behind him and creating symbols with the ring in an homage to to an actual painting Uh, i don't recognize the painting i believe you joe you said it was a, a mural named la patria
0: yeah, it was La Petria, which was it's a very famous mural, uh, by Jorge Gonzalez. Um it it's something that a lot of I know a lot of, of folks from Mexico actually look at and it's it's supposed to represent like, again, that the soul of like what it is to be Mexican. And yes, it does have some food in it. Um but it is not Prominent it is got the symbol of the Eagle carrying the snake. It has the Mexican flag. It has icons of Mexicans, uh, Mexico city icons of the Aztec, uh, Aztec nation and, and everything else uh, like that surrounded these, these areas and sort of like is a capsulation of the history of, of that with a strong Mexican woman holding the flag. Um, and they
1: switched it to Kyle Rayner holding a bag of tamales.
0: And, and there is some controversy around it because there was, uh, and Jorge Miller uh, did a the original cover, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and then it ran into some legal trouble, but instead of rectifying the legal trouble, they went with the path of least resistance. The reason we're talking about this and making such a big deal out of it is, one, this is very important to me. Um, you know, not that I need a month to feel good about my Hispanic heritage or anything like that, but it's not like we get representation every day, all day. So having something that celebrates that side of my life, I'm all about. I think it's, I, and I, I generally look forward to it. When Marvel does it, these are the heroes that are Hispanic being displayed prominently doing hero stuff, but acknowledging their heritage, whether it's traditional dress or whether it's, uh, you know, I don't think I've seen one cover that has food. Like, yeah,
1: no, Marvel doesn't do that. What Marvel does is promote a man to editor-in-chief who pretended to be Japanese for several years.
0: That's a whole other thing.
1: So let's not pretend that Marvel is... Again, is they're the not perfect. Yet.
0: They're not perfect. But
1: but this cover, the cover we actually got of Kyle Rayner would be okay. Not great, but okay, if not for the bag of tamales.
0: The plastic, gar- uh, ga- as what is referred to as a gas station bag of tamales.
1: Yeah. just And some of them are floating out of the bag, but you know, whatever. There's no gravity in space. I guess you shouldn't bring your tamales there. Uh, sorry, it's just, and it was Jorge
0: Molina, not, not Jorge Miller.
1: Yeah. Apologies. It's just... It's just so, the the flag he's got it's holding now deaf. just says Viva Mexico on it, like a tourist banner, which, okay, wouldn't, wouldn't be my first choice, but, you know, it's kind of hard to make a Mexican flag with a green power ring, admittedly. Um, there's more than one color in the Mexican flag, but still, I, I feel like this is, it's, it's tone deaf in that way that people who just, they don't know anything about what they're doing. And this isn't Molina's fault at all. No. Because they he didn't finish the cover before they told him they not to do even, it.
0: Even his quote, he made a tweet that said, one of these has my signature, the other one doesn't. That's all I can say about
1: it. Yeah, it's just, it is tone deaf, and it is something that could have been avoided fairly easily. Uh, and the fact that every single cover of the seven I've now seen involves food. Uh, one of them, literally, she's just standing there surrounded by fruit. The, the question beats people up. I, I mean, that's what she does. She should be beating someone up. Uh, Hawk girl uses a mace and flies around and beats people up. Uh, Bane, okay, sure. Bane's hungry after, I think, killing a bunch of people. Sure, he'd stop to eat, I guess. I. I feel like there could have been one or two covers with food. The only one that I feel like is justified is the Blood Syndicate cover. Yeah, because because that's that's an actual family thing. Like, look, you know, they're standing around. They're having a a dinner together. They're all taking part in it that I'm okay with. But when you then add the fact that literally every cover here of these seven covers, every single one of them has somebody eating or food heavily prominently involved. Now it's weird. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. And it's the reason that I I bring this up is because, again, I'm not saying that it is an easy thing to represent uh cultures if you are not familiar with them, but there's something that we have access to now that maybe we didn't have 50, 60, 70 years ago, and that is a plethora of people in this industry that you can talk to, or in any industry, that you can bring on to advise you. And in fact, there has been several movies and TV shows that have done exactly this, and brought in people that are of that culture to advise, to make sure that they're not doing the tone deaf responses, that they are being accurate in it. Um, you know, uh, things like uh, I think it's reservoir or uh, reservation dogs. Um, they actually had people come on that are of that culture and advise on it. Uh, you have people who work in the comic industry that are part of these cultures, bringing them in to advise like, okay, this is fine for art or maybe stick away from this stereotype or here's about good... it. And the kicker for some of this stuff is like Kyle Rayner as a story. It's really well done how he finds out how he is Hispanic. The story and the revelation of his father, his father leading the double life to try to keep himself safe, where the Rainer name comes from, why, you know, who he actually is, him learning about his culture, him integrating his culture into his personality slowly as he learns about it over time. It is actually really well done. And stuff like this sort of takes away from the fact that the actual content of the book isn't tone deaf. And it's... It's just This is an imploring, if anything else. Characters like Miles Morales do well because they embrace their heritage in a way that feels genuine. It's not just there for dressing. It's not just there to sell a book one month out of the year or to say, hey, look, we are actually sensitive to our our folks. Here's whatever stereotype isn't going to get us sued. It's showing the care and identity for what you're portraying in those characters, actually understanding what those cultures are, and getting that sort of direction and asking those questions of folks that are from that culture, it is exceptionally important
1: yeah i don't yeah, I don't have anything to say yeah. on that other than yes is important and if nothing else, like you don't even need to for these covers, there doesn't need to be anything on them that specifically suggests anything about the people's culture mm-hmm. if, if that's what you don't want to do, fine, don't do it. Just show them being themselves just show them doing the things they do. And the fact that they're Hispanic will be enough. Although I certainly think it would have been nice if they'd actually tried to tie it in. One of the things that really bugs me is that in a lot of cases, you know, not every Hispanic character is Mexican or eats their, their native cuisine. Isn't necessarily tamales.
0: Yeah. That's that's weird. Burrito things (laughs)
1: like, you know, it's like if, if so characters from Puerto Rico, they're very different than Mexico. Uh, you know, there's the Dominican Republic. There, there's like dozens of of nations that someone of of Which is where can come from. from. It? Yeah, it can be you know, and it's not necessarily first or second generation either. Like you can come from like you can, you can be the grandchild of someone who came from Mexico and someone who came from Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all these different permutations the idea that you just slap some tamales on it or burritos or whatever the heck these lumpy things they're all eating are supposed to be. No, no, I'm sorry. That's just ridiculous. Just, just show them. Um, yeah, I, I, um, it's, it's just, it's clueless. And it's like I said, you know, it's like I am eating a pizza to show my Italian heritage. Technically I'm, I'm of Italian heritage. I've got like quite a few. I'm like, I'm, I'm a mutt. I'm an American mutt. Uh, my my mother's parents both came over. Uh, my grandfather was from Scotland. My grandmother was from Ireland. um I've got a lot of relatives over there that I don't know and have never met. Uh, but I don't go around you know, I don't generally eat haggis to show my Scottish heritage. Do you know what I'm saying? It just it is it's just no, no this is this is not good
0: and it's this is not to to beat a dead horse, so to speak. it's just to shed light on it. It's one of those things where I think some folks take it for granted, but it's something that comics were a big part of my life. So in particular, when comic books get it wrong, it hurts, especially when it's maybe characters that I grew up with or maybe characters that mean something to me, especially it hurts a little bit more. And some people may think that's an overreaction, but I, I that's just how I feel. And it's the same thing with movies and TV shows. When I see the generalization that all like a lot of TV shows for a very long time, if they've tried to portray a Hispanic character, it didn't matter where they were from. They were just Mexican. That was it. That was the end of it. Now we've moved past that, thankfully, and there's further diversity there, but that's the type of stuff that until people pushed back on, didn't get changed. And when things get missed like this or things feel like they're done without care, it, 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 it bothers me because again, you have people that work in these industries that are of these cultures, that literally can advise you and talk to you through it. And like, no, this isn't how it is. This isn't what it is. So, I'm not going to talk too much more about that, but it's just, in the world of storytelling, in the world of lore, in creating universes and worlds and characterizations, we can still do better. And it is my hope that the backlash from this will force them to do better, because I want them to do better. I want everybody to do better, because... We all deserve it, every single one of us out there. So I'm going to move on now, and uh, we're going to go ahead and start talking about some questions. Uh, Again, send them in if you have them. But this one is going to come from Talvi. Uh, There is a priest in the Legion class hall that became a paladin. Has this been explored at all before in the story of Warcraft, and do you think it is something we might see in the future? Also, she was a night elf. Do you think that paladin night elves could be a thing since we have blood elves? Would they be servants of the Sunwell or a loon, or something entirely different? Talvi, we talked about this a little bit in the past, and uh, I'm not going to go into the history because I'm going to let Matt do that a little bit. Uh, But there is sort of a precedent, I believe, beyond just the one Night Elf Paladin to open the doorway for more, especially after the events of everything that occurred in Shadowlands with everything with the Night Warrior showing how Elune does bestow power. And Elune is, at her core, a source of light uh so there is the possibility that we could and it is my hope that we would see potentially more night elf paladins because why not at this point the light is varied the light is different we've seen sunwalkers who worship uh anchi the sun right they they worship a, an entity that is light but is not the light uh we've seen uh paladins uh from Dizar lore who worship loa it's not necessarily the light We've seen that paladins can be any number of things as long as they internalize that sort of fusion of devotion and reverence to what they're praying to, essentially, or what they're they're getting their source of power from with martial prowess. And I believe in the past we have talked about priests becoming paladins, and this is where I'll turn it over to Matt.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of debate as to the whole concept of the light versus you know where you're getting your particular power from. Uh, it's quite possible that the loa are in fact tapping into the light. We know that the titans tap into the light. We've seen them do it. Uh, if you if you remember the siege of orgamar raid when you go through into the uh veil vale of eternal sorrows and you fight um the norrishan encounter is him summoning monsters to bite you and then, you know, using the light to purify you. That's that's him doing that. He's a titan construct and he uses the light. Tyr, who is essentially the the uh, Former, I mean, I say former because he's dead, not because he was a uh, he was kicked out. But Tyr, the uh, the uh, Titan Watcher, who essentially helped humanity survive when the uh, Curse of Flesh was changing uh, the Raikul into what, what are now humans. Tyr, his life and his passing have clearly affected humanity and their idea of what a Paladin is. Uh, and Tyr himself seemed to have been able to, to channel the light as well. So there's that. But in terms of priests becoming paladins. Uh, obviously the first, uh, Draenei paladins, I don't know if that's how that went. Uh, but I do know that the first human paladins were all priests, except for one of them. Um, uh, of the, the various people who became paladins, everyone except Turalyon was already a priest. Um, Turalyon was a, was a knight. He was just as religious as them, but he hadn't taken priestly orders. Uh, the others had even Uther and when they became paladins, obviously, uh, Tural- had to gain instruction in the light and how to channel it and wield it. And everybody else had to get instruction in combat. Uh, you know, basically how to be a, a warrior, how to use a weapon, uh, and paladins that humanity had the, the first five, um, Turalyon, Uther, um, Gavin Rad, the dire, uh, Satan, Dathrothan, and, uh, tyrian fordring the except for turalyon those other four were all priests uh, and there's others in the uh, lore as well uh, lady liadrin who is the essentially the first blood elf paladin she was also a priest she was a priest of the light and when her people were destroyed she lost her faith like when when the uh scourge came up and carved their way through silver moon and went to the isle of and you know despoiled the Sunwell. She lost her faith, which is not surprising because, you know, she'd done her best. She'd prayed to the light and yet they failed and, and so many people were killed and so much was lost. So she lost her faith. And then when, uh, Ramath came back with the captured Naru, they started the process of siphoning power from him. And she was one of the first to be entrusted with that power. And she became the first blood Knight or first blood elf paladin after the events of burning crusade. When, when basically Velen purified the uh, new Sunwell that was made with Muru's essence, she basically had realized, oh, what we've been doing, we tortured this being of pure light for for months, and yet he still trusts us with his essence. He trusts us to, to, to take forth the light into the future. So she kind of reconciled with the light and is now basically... Basically, at this point, Blood Elf Paladins no longer drain the light essence from a captured naru they are paladins uh she she's re- reconnected with the light the new ones that they train never start off from that negative place they all start off as paladins so you get that that's another priest who became a paladin and whilst a pony brightmane wasn't a priest because tauren didn't have priests Torrin got priests and paladins at the same time mm-hmm. and from the same source the priests that are that exist now in the, in the shuhalo that in the toran are dedicated to anshe just as the paladins are and they have a shared source although they're not they didn't start off like no there were no toran priests to become paladins and vice versa there were no toran paladins to to you know exist in the first place um but you can honestly say that of the groups that have ex- expre- have paladins currently in game the Draenei, we have no idea the uh Dwarves have both priests and paladins. We don't know if one came from the other or if they've just always had both. Uh the, the dwarven paladins tend to be based around Titan lore. Uh in much the same way that the, the human ones are just the human ones are based around tier and the dwarven ones are based around ancestors. Like literally the dwarves that came before and the dwarves that came before them, going all the way back to before they were dwarves. Uh there's clearly a lot of influence there. But humans, priests who became paladins. Uh, blood Elves, priests who became paladins. Um, Torin, pre- both priests and paladins at the same time from the same basic source. Lightforged, obviously, the Lightforged are kind of in a special case of their own. Xandalar, uh, definitely different uh, in terms of how they got their power. They, they draw it from their relationship with Razan originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, who knows? I mean, they didn't lose their powers when Razan. Died. I'm doing finger quotes, you can't see me. But that, that's that. Uh, they didn't lose their power when Razan died, and now that Vulgin is the Loa of Kings, will they be drawing power from him? Uh, that's that's a good question. I don't have an answer to it. But uh, for your next part, do you want to talk more now, and, and I'll come back in? It's. Or, oh, the, by the way, Della Moonfang is the Night Elf priestess who became a paladin. That is correct. That's her name. Just yeah. wanted to throw that out there.
0: It's it's an interesting thing because we've seen that again. Anybody who has that relationship with a light or a source of power that sort of fills that same role is capable of becoming a paladin. So the door is there. It's it's open. And with the way that the storytelling has been going, I think it's a really good opportunity, especially if they started to explore that in sort of the story going forward, especially now. The night elves are at a point of trying to rebuild. They're trying to recover uh, everything that happened with Shadowlands, which I think is important, too, because I think taran's taranda's relationship with the is forever changed uh i think there is a new understanding deeper understanding uh on what Alun is and what that looks like moving forward but again yeah.
1: but also let's also not it's not just understanding elune valued taranda enough to choose her as her high priest ten thousand years ago during the invasion of the uh of the legion and then valued
0: her enough to not let her burn yeah, herself out. She
1: she when when Tyrande became the Night Warrior, she was supposed to die. It kills people, and there's re- literally no way to stop it. They tried, two people tried to share it once to keep it from killing the first one, and that didn't work. And and we see here that that Ter- Loon so valued Tyrande that at the moment where she would have killed her enemy and succumbed, you could see that the the Night Warrior power was like leaking off of her. It was. Coming down her face, it had replaced her markings. Mm-hmm. At that moment, not to spare Sylvanas, because Alun don't give two two beeps about beeps, Syl- yep. Sylvanas, yeah. But to spare Taranda, Alun let go. Imagine you find out that the god you serve values your life so much that they will not let you die if they can avoid it. That's going to change your relationship with your deity, and I think that that is something that a, a story of night elves becoming paladins would be something you could really, you could explore that story with it.
0: I would agree. But I think I, I don't have much else to add to that because I think you've covered all the bases unless there's anything else you want to add.
1: I can't, like I said, I don't think I can't think of any other paladins that we have currently that either did or didn't have priests, but, but we've seen it happen enough times. We've seen it happen at least twice, um, possibly three times, depending on how you view the Torn situation. We've seen it enough times that we know that it is something that happens. It has happened before. It could absolutely happen again. It should happen again. I also think it would be interesting to explore this whole idea of beings who touch the light who act as intercessors. Because it's one thing, human paladins seem to literally go straight to the source, as do Draenei paladins and Lightforged Draenei paladins. But dwarves go through their ancestors. Everything a dwarf paladin does is ancestral. Mm-hmm. They're they're touching their ancestors who touched the light. The Torin thing is is not just ancestral, but also Anshe, the, the light being. Uh, the Blood Elf thing is now straight up touching the light. But they went through a period of of having a Naru that they used as kind of an intercessor, a way around being like the way you paladins usually are. And then they converted to being paladins, and all current Blood Elf paladins are are not drawing from a Naru because they don't have a Naru to draw from anymore. They're drawing from the sun well and from the light itself. So there's intercessors in some cases, the, the Loa for the, um, the Zandalar Paladin. Sorry, I could not see Xandalar for a second. My brain just was like, no, nope, I don't know that word. Um, there's a lot to this that could come up in the future. I hope that they do something about it with the Vol'jin story. I hope Vol'jin story going forward touches on that. And if we got like regular old tro- troll, Paladins, it would not be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if like, they draw upon Vol'jin and you see, you see t- to- trolls becoming paladins, I would think that was pretty cool. Uh, for that matter, I think I absolutely think that night elves... And not only do I think night elves should get paladins, I would like to see elves and, and trolls actually have some sort of meeting where they get at least a little into the idea that they are kin. Yeah. That there's something there, they are related, they, they need to start actually having cross... Like honestly, I would like to see if the Nightborn story moves forward. One of the things I'd like to see is is her, them actually reaching out to the Night Elves and saying, you know, um, after all that, I really feel like we should talk. You know, that 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 this hostility between us is not serving any purposes. But just in general, I would like to see that that touching in on the story of the Light and these Intercessors.
0: I would agree. All right, I'm going to move on to our next question here. Um, And this is a little bit of a longer one, so uh, I was wondering whether you think we'd hear about Tarragosa in Dragonflight. I know her story was technically wrapped up, but I don't think it's truly finished. As you know from Cataclysm Quest, Tarragosa sacrifices herself to save Calicos after Aragos wanted Calix's death, as it was a means to secure his accession to the aspect of the Blue Dragonflight. Caligos then saves her by binding her soul to the player character, and we eventually bind her to a staff where her spirit lives on for all eternity. This sounds like a wrap-up for a story, but I think there's room for more. Caligos, when on the actionable intelligence quest, states that Terragosa was born under a special sign that foretold of a great destiny. While well, one could argue saving Kalak and contributing to the selection of the new aspect, as we take her from uh, form to attend the Draconic Council, is very big, it is truly that great of a is is it truly that great of a destiny to warrant no further story with her? Especially since we will definitely see Kallik, and he had a very special relationship to Targosha. I think there is more that could be done in Dragonflight, and I wanted to hear y'all's take. For example, could we find a way to restore her to a living form post Shadowlands knowledge, and allow her to truly have a great destiny? And this is from Ave Riella uh, from Moonguard. So this is an interesting one, because Shadowlands, now that we know what happens when an entity dies, or at least we have an idea, and we know that dragon spirits, even aspects, uh, can be sent there, as we saw with Ysera, maybe putting her in a staff and having her soul and consciousness sort of bound to an artifact of immense power might— I mean, it definitely circumvents that death process— But now that we're going back to the Dragon Isles where there is absolutely a Titan facility and we're starting to learn things about how the dragons became empowered to begin with, there might be something there that maybe we could take her soul and and her personality and reactivate her or do a Titan construct in the same way that Earthen or... Uh, the original Vycruel or the any of the other races that are constructed via stone uh, have souls imbued within them and eventually become are essentially living creatures. They're not necessarily just programmed entities. Uh, and we even know that the entities of the Pantheon of Death, even though they are technically shells that have been programmed with souls and feelings and knowledge are living entities in and of themselves in a lot of ways. There's a possibility for it. Do I think it's very likely? I don't think so. I think instead what we're going to wind up finding out is a lot more about the Blue Dragonflight in general. I think we're going to find out more about their relationship with the other Dragonflights. Because don't forget, our introduction to the Blue Dragonflight outside of Kalagos was, oh, they're going to take all the magic away from us, uh, we should probably go kill the crazy guy that's you know doing that and you know potentially hurting the the planet in the process of doing so to now we're basically getting involved in their internal politics to ensure that caligos gets selected as the aspect by the way here's one of their greatest members that we are now charged with uh being bound with their soul then taking their soul and shoving it into a an artifact uh, and then you know moving on with our lives to what we learned about, Uh, In Azuna, with how sort of that relationship goes there with their sort of, again, I want to say dependence on magic, but like their deep connection to the arcane. But now we're going to their homeland. We're going to where their dragon flight was essentially uh, roosted for forever. We get to learn what experiments they were working on. We get to learn how they viewed all the other dragon flights, what they viewed as their position among all of them. Uh, and they are absolutely, crudic- I'm not going to spoil anything, but they are crucial to at least the Drakthir story. We know that for a fact. And Caligos is absolutely around because all of the dragon aspects are around. All of the dragon flights are around because it's the first time they've been able to go home in 10,000 years or however long it's been. It's been a while. So what do you think, Matt?
1: Uh, I was. I didn't notice if you'd read the PS. Did you read the PS?
0: I did did not, but we can always go
1: with that after. I'm going to just read the PS right now so I can talk about the thing I want to talk about. Sure. Uh, the PS was between Tarragosa and v- Avina and Jaina, Kalik, des- despite literally having wings, desperately needs a good wingman. Tarragosa was more like a little sister to him. Avina, yeah, he had the hots for Avina. He, he wanted to, to dip himself into the Sunwell, let's say, although she wasn't the Sunwell at that particular moment. She had been the Sunwell previously. Uh, good job there, Kalik. K- Jaina, I don't I never understood the Jaina Calagos relationship. Straight up never understood it. But I'm gonna point out you left somebody out. Tirigosa. Tirigosa is the daughter of Malagos. Mm-hmm. She is one of the I for lack of a word, she's one of the 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 last remaining children of Malagos. Uh, and with her brother Argos dead, she's got a good claim to being in charge of the Dragonflight now that we don't have an aspect anymore. Although there does definitely seem to be some stuff going on in Dragonflight that may make that different. Uh, However, I will say this. Pterogosa has popped up again. We've seen her in uh, Burning Crusade when she's the one that actually brought the Nether Dragons to Malagos' attention. And she actually even introduced a Nether Dragon to Malagos, which is the event that caused him to go from crazy in a depressed not doing anything, just sitting around being feeling sorry for himself way too crazy and I will control all magic in the world and prevent mortals from doing any more damage sort of way. So Tiragosa was central to those events. If not for Tiragosa bringing Malagos nether dragons to look at and to accidentally absorb some power from, that wouldn't have happened. Now, you can argue that wasn't a good thing, and I certainly would agree with you, but it wasn't Tiragosa's intention. She was just trying to do as her father had commanded. To reunite the flight, um, she was basically Caligosa's intended. They were supposed to get married, and then uh, well, supposed to mate. You know, dragons don't really do marriage as such, uh, consorts and so forth. Obviously, things went differently. Caligosa ended up as head of the blue dragon flight, but we do see Tiragos again after that happens because at the end of Cataclysm, it's Tiragosha who is giving us orders. Like when we go into the Tormrass Temple, it's Taragosa who's like, okay, there's a crazy guy. There's a big old tentacle face monster over there. There's another one over there. I'd really like it if you guys could go kill him while we defend the temple because there's so much stuff attacking the temple right now. That's the last time we've seen Taragosa since. I don't think she's popped up since. Uh, I'm hoping she's in Dragonflight. And the reason I'm hoping she's in Dragonflight is for one reason. I want to differentiate her from Taragosa, who is, again, more like Calix's more like, uh, little sister. Correct, and we don't want to see that get changed. I like the fact that she he thought of her as a little sister. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to see Taragos again. But I would not, I would not at all be upset if we did. I think that would be great um, if we could get her out of the staff and and give her life or whatever again. That and, would be really cool. And um, we know but that I there's don't,
0: another, There's a precedent for that as well too, because we got to see that with uh, Zalatath and uh, Nazoth and the exchange between the two where uh, Zalatath was released from the dagger and as yeah. a living entity, right?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, yeah, um, I would like to see it happen. I don't know that it's going to happen. I have not come across any quests in the expansion when I'm going through the, the uh, alpha. I have not seen anything about Tyragosa mentioned, but I would like to see it, um, and I would like to see... I would like to see Taragosa come back, not to necessarily be Kalik's girlfriend, because I think it's that would be reductionist, but to harass him. Or advi- at least become,
0: advise him at the very
1: least. Ha- advise him in a harassing manner. Not not harass him literally to bother him or hurt him, just you know, to be that kind of advisor who's like, yeah, that's a great plan. Uh why don't we just blow everything up? That, that's that's that the mal we can call it the Malfurian plan option. Blow it all up. Aces. You know, I feel like there that we need some dragons who are like a little bit less reverent, uh, quite frankly. I've always liked that about Chromie. that not that Chromie is Chromie is in no way disrespectful, but she's very her tongue is wedged real hard in her cheek. Mm-hmm. And I like that kind of character for dragons. I like dragons who don't take it too seriously. For every, um, you know, Coriel Estraz, there needs to be somebody a little bit less. Like there needs to be an Azuragos. I'd love to see Azuragos come back too. I would love to see Azuragos come back. I would love to see Azuragos as a character in Dragonflight, being the, the, you know, playing the. Oh my lord, are they doing this again? You know, his just long suffering, death, death spirit dating dragony nutcase that he is i love him so yeah i i definitely hope we see more about the blue dragon flight i definitely hope i would love it if we get to see more about uh mm-hmm. i'd like to see all these other characters too i know we're going to the library that Cindergosa had before she died that is correct yep so that's one thing we know is going to happen so yeah more of that we're going
0: to move on to a series of questions here from our friend Tolkienberg uh maybe not all of them but definitely some of them at least uh this was roughly Cthulhu equals cthulhu yog-saron equals yog uh Sagadath, nazath equals nyarlathotep I, agree,
1: I disagree entirely with that, but we'll get into that once you're done.
0: I was just going to say, I'm sure Matt has comments about this. Uh, considering these naming conventions, we've always considered Azeroth is just a nice Titan in the making yet. Her name is very close to Azathoth. Is it possible that she's already fallen? So I'm going to let Matt go. Cause I know he has opinions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, well, we don't know. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem like she is, but you know, it could be who knows. Um, but I don't agree that Azeroth is intended to be an Azathoth thing. Maybe it was at first uh, because, you know, it might've been a reference that they were making while they were doing the game, but considering Xerath Mortis, we've now seen that. I think Azeroth is supposed to look like Xerath or Zareth was created to look like Azeroth.
0: A right Right.
1: Yeah. And um, I don't, I don't disagree that C'Thun was inspired by Cthulhu or, uh, or that Yogg Saron is is a reference to Yogg sothoth but Nizoth, if it if it is a reference to Nyarlathotep, is the worst Nyarlathotep reference I've ever seen. Because here's the thing, Cthulhu and the others like him are were great old ones. I mean Cthulhu, Cthulhu and Yogg sothoth and so forth. They were great old ones. They were not the same as as Nyarlathotep. Nyarlathotep was the voice of the outer gods.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, he was essentially he was the Metatron for Azathoth for um um because Azathoth. Azathoth was wild burbling, nuclear chaos Azathoth could not talk to you the uh, the concept of having a conversation was not something Azathoth had because Azathoth did not have concepts there wasn't there wasn't enough discrete sapience in Azathoth for him to have urges or opinions or drives those were not things he did it did they did uh, even calling it a he or an A or an It doesn't really work, but you gotta call it something. So I'm going with it or they. Nyarlathotep was the the the, you know, the, the, the uh, the, uh the, the black man with the horn, the 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 witch's god, the the bringer of light. The whole point of Nyarlathotep was that he brings illumination that will destroy you. He is the whole he is the the outer god of secrets you shouldn't learn, things you shouldn't know that knowing this is not good for you. It is actually actively bad. He's a personification of that whole idea that I think most people have today about the, the Cthulhu mythos, that it will make, drive you mad to know too much. And to give you an idea of something that in, in the poem, nyarlathotep Lovecraft straight up said that the nuclear bomb was one of his gifts. That was something he gave to us, that he let us learn. Nazath is not that, but I can see why you might think he's meant to be a a, a parallel to it. In that, Nizoth is constantly talking about, you know,
0: the gifts he's given. us.
1: Yeah, gifts. If anything, Nazoth reminds me very much of Shub Niggurath. Yeah, the black goat of the woods with a thousand young. That's more Nazothi to me. Uh, but I mean, keep in mind the love the the Lovecraftian stuff. The Cthulhu Mythos is an inspiration for these characters, but it's not a one for one parallel. They they're not sitting down and saying, okay, we need to convert. You know, we don't have a name converter, and we're just converting them one to one. There's not going to be a Toad one named to named Utha. You know, they're they're just not going to do that. It's it's better to think of them as similar ideas. Uh, If anything, the old gods from from Warcraft are more like the Outer Gods from Lovecraft than they are the Great Old Ones. And that's basically what I think is important to consider when we're thinking about the whole idea that Azeroth might already be fallen. I think it's more of a line that Azeroth might not be a Titan. Yeah. Uh, the thing that Azeroth is might be beyond a Titan. And what does that mean if it's true? What does it mean if Azeroth isn't what we thought it was? That it's beyond that, that it's even more important. The fact that Azeroth and Xerath Mortis seem linked to the point where all that stuff in Crown was created to create a bridge between the soul of Azeroth and Xerath Mortis. Like, why? Like, obviously, the jailer thought that this was going to be part of his masterstroke to reorder reality. Why is it necessary to touch Azeroth to do that? Why do you need Azeroth's power to reshape reality? And specifically, why, why do you need to assault it
0: and break it down? Because don't forget, yeah. during the encounter, it's it's Azeroth fighting back against the
1: mm-hmm. jailer.
0: Or in this case, he, he doesn't even have power, a trap right?
1: He's even got to drop that's like the, it looks like the heart of Azeroth. It
0: does. It absolutely does.
1: Yeah. And I keep thinking about this. Uh, I think someone else has mentioned this. Might've been Joe, might've been somebody else, but that idea that, you know, it's quite possible that the reasons that the, the grave of the first ones, the sepulcher of the first ones, the resting place of them the links tomb. to yeah. Azeroth is that Azeroth's reality, everything they made around Azeroth's reality might basically be the equivalent of what we saw at the end of like the, the mythology of Diablo mm-hmm. with, with um, the Diamond Warrior, Anu, and Tathamet. What if they ripped everything out of themselves that was wrong, that they didn't feel fit their creation, thus dying, and then set up a bridge into their creation where they would go, and that's where they are right now. There's a, the, the final Titan is a first one. Or the first ones, maybe they're all in there as one being now, one perfect being that they, they intended the entire universe to serve as a creche to, that we'd be born into that world and part of it. And the thing that's coming, the strange force that's not the void, that's not anything we know today, might actually be what they pulled out of themselves. Mm-hmm. This is just one possibility, it's, I, I don't know. It could be lots of other things, but I definitely think there's a connection between Xerath Mortis and Azeroth. There's a connection between what the Jailer was trying to do and what the First Ones did. It, I feel like he was—he do- went backwards. He tried to reverse what they did. He was trying to pull them back to him so he could use their power to change things the way he wanted them to be.
0: Because that's what was ha- trying to happen, right? It was trying yeah. to be a siphon.
1: He was trying to draw something out of Azeroth to himself and use it to reshape reality. Why can it do that? Why is what's in Azeroth necessary for that? Why was it working? Because it was working. If we didn't stop him, it would have worked. That's something I think is really important in this subject. That's that's what I would say on that front. But I don't think it's as simple as you know, Azeroth is already corrupted. I think if anything, it's that Azeroth is way more complicated than we understand.
0: Possibly way more complicated than the old guys understood as well too, because Think about this as well. We've already had a couple experiences that sort of, I don't want to say they hint at it because they pretty much bop you on the head with it like a rolled up newspaper. You have the encounter where you're going through, let's remember the uh, the scenario you're going through Alduar again and you're going there because Magni needed to go there because Azeroth was having a nightmare and needed to actually purge what was happening there well, if Azeroth was already corrupted in this particular case, why would they be having a nightmare about all the terrors and and things that were potential to come, right? What we were fighting, we were fighting dark tentacles, we were fighting faceless ones, we were fighting servants of old gods. And if they were already done in their work, why would the old gods be so willing to, I don't want to say willing to die, but to make their presence known?
1: Yeah, why bother doing all that if you've already accomplished? If anything, you'd want to keep people from looking too closely.
0: Exactly. You
1: don't want to draw attention when you've you've successfully done what you're trying to do. Like, what's the thing from Watchmen? I'm not a Republic serial villain, Dan. I wouldn't tell you what was going on if there was the slightest chance of you affecting its outcome. I did it 35 minutes ago. Exactly. The Falcons have already corrupted her. They're not going to call attention to it until she's done being corrupted.
0: Versus, you know, let's go through the list. Like Cthune. We know that Cthulhu didn't finish the job because even though Cthulhu was awake, Cthulhu had to call to its followers, whipping them up into a frenzy, to not necessarily wage war, but to break down the barriers, to break down the walls, so that they could become free again. Uh, if that if they were already like corrupt, if they had already succeeded, they wouldn't care. Their job would be done, uh, and
1: similarly, they wouldn't have had uh, Cthulhu wouldn't have sent Shogal up to Alduar. Yep. And that's how those chains got broken around Yogg's, uh, Yogg's That was Chogal. Correct. Chogal snuck in and broke those chains. And once he did that, a lot of the stuff we see in Alduar, the Titan corruption type stuff, a lot of that comes from that moment.
0: Oh, well, a lot of the corruption we see throughout Northrend comes from that moment. The mm-hmm. the pools of Serenite that extend all the way as far as like, well, Everywhere, literally everywhere in Northrend, uh, the Serenite are pieces of Yogg Saron. It is liquefied Yogg Saron, uh, corruption. I, I don't really know what else to call it. It's not necessarily his blood.
1: That's why it was such a great thing to, to take the, the the Serenite and and to make it into stuff that we wore on top of our heads and around our you know genitalia and so forth to completely surround ourselves with Yog Saron. That was that was a smart idea.
0: And we know that that was part of the plan. That's why that was the the Ice Crown Citadel is made out of partially saronite. Yeah. Is so big- are
1: the so is a lot of the big floating. The when you go to acarus acarus is got is built on a Saranite framework.
0: And we know that all of a sudden, servants of the old god in the void were also assaulting the Shadowlands. Well, how did they know how to get there? How do they know what was there? How do they know what existed? When did it happen? We don't have a time frame for this. It could have been happening. 10,000 years ago, it could have been happening a million years ago. It could have been happening 10 years ago. Uh, So there's, there's, it's all about that long play as far as that goes. And Nizoth was able to influence things well outside its containment. If they were already successful or close to successful in their corruption, they wouldn't have had to. They wouldn't have had to call for their servants. They wouldn't, in this case, Nizoth wouldn't have had to make Queen Eshara do anything. And yet, here we are. Now, to, Bring it back to the naming conventions. I think that story wise, I don't think that there's anything really anymore that that links them all together. But I do think that the original inclusion of the old gods was a reference to the the outer gods. It was a reference to the the old ones from uh, the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, but I think over time that has evolved. That they have evolved into sort of their own iconic things. Uh, as to what Azeroth becomes now, maybe uh, there was originally supposed to be something where we thought it was a Titan and it turned out, oh, oops, oh, oh god. But I don't think that's the case anymore. I think Matt is right on the money, where it's something that is a being that is more diverse, more complicated, more complex than we had originally conceived. That it is not a Titan. It is not corruptible in the same sense. We know that it is a, I don't want to say a childlike intellect, but it's its understanding and self awareness is there, but it doesn't have full understanding of what it is. It is being born anew in a lot of ways, like what we saw in Shadowlands, and particularly in Ardenwald, where things are transformed and molded. And I don't think that's uh, I don't I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that is intentional, and I think the things we saw in Shadowlands are intentional because of the path that we walked through. Think about it. The first thing we experience is the, uh, the middle ground, the in-between of everything. It is just the portal, the gateway that leads to the other realms. Uh, there really is no rhyme or reason there. There's no feeling there. It is just a mechanical entity that is supposed to, to, to divide souls. From there, we go to where there is the sense of duty, uh, where duty is everything. Who you are, your memories of who you were before are gone. They've been pulled out of you. Okay, let's make a note of that. The next place we go is where? We go to Ardenwald after that, right? What or is it no? It's Maldraxxus then Ardenwald, right? I'm looking at you, Matt. I'm trying to remember the flow.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Repeat it. After Bastion,
0: where do we go? I can't remember if it's Ardenwald or if it's Maldraxxus. I think it's
1: no. It's uh, from Bastion. It's Maldraxxus. Okay. And from Maldraxxus, it's Ardenwald. And from Ardenwald, it's Revendreth. It's it's actually the reason that we go to Maldraxxus is because Maldraxxus forces are attacking Bastion.
0: And we try to find out why. That's correct. Yeah. Sorry. And then
1: when that's we get through, when we're at the near the end of Maldraxxus, that's when the uh, they're like, you, you got to go back to Oribos and tell them what's going on. And when you get there, they're like, okay, the only person left to contact is uh, the Winter Queen. Well, so that's where you go there. So,
0: yeah. The, yeah. The, the The idea is that you go to a sense of duty where memory is removed. You go to a sense of duty where who you are is valued, but not in so much as what you can do to the defense and protection of. Your realm and those souls in your charge. From there, you go to where things are reborn or repurposed based off of necessity. Uh, where we see that old gods and and I'm oh, sorry, the wild gods uh, and the the sort of these primal figures, uh, loas and such can, while they die, they can be reinfused and sent back to their worlds so that they may be reborn again and complete their tasks but they don't necessarily remember their time there. They just know that they rest for a while. They know that they slept for a while and then they're back again. They know that there's a cycle. We know this from the Ursoc short. Uh, And then we go to uh, Revendreth where your sins are pulled from you. Your, Your extra baggage are pulled from you to make you more perfect of a servant would be not necessarily wrong, but it's not completely right. All of these things, I think, are reflected to go back to what Matt said. What going to the sepulchre, finding out what the what Zaval was doing leads us to leads at least me to believe that maybe Azeroth having that connection, these were experiments. These were experiments the first ones were doing to pull aspects of themselves out that they didn't like to maybe create a more perfect being. Azeroth maybe doesn't have a memory of their past because it's been pulled from them azeroth is a child without sin because it hasn't it's been pulled from it potentially azeroth has a strong sense of of preservation for itself and its children we see it in the encounter with uh with zoval azeroth empowers us through that connection so that we can continue to fight but we've also seen it in the past as well where azeroth has sort of reached out through magni or other means to defend itself to react to do things not perfectly, but it has that sort of concept there. There's one aspect that hasn't been pulled off yet, which is, well, Azeroth isn't quite born yet. So I like the idea that maybe Azeroth started as one thing, but now that we know about Xerath Mortis and over years, I think maybe it evolved, so that it's something greater, it's something bigger, it's not a titan, it's not a god, but we don't know what it is. And I think there's a certain amount of joy to that. that, that sort of trying to th- the, the unknowing nature of it so anything else you want to add to that one matt
1: no i think we covered it
0: but i think that's going to do us on time uh tokenberg thank you very much we still have more of your questions to go through because you are very inquisitive this week <laughs> uh well but i do want to thank you all for joining us blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast. Better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the Q and Ads Free Site Experience. Again, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify the show there for uh, you can also send in themes or or topics that you want us to do episodes on and we'll see what we can do. Uh, if you don't want to send an email, you can also hit us up on our Discord server. Uh, we have one channel set aside for our Patreon subscribers. It's Patreon Q and, Q and Podcast Questions. We tend to look there first before anything else. That's where several of these questions came from today, uh, as a way of saying thank you for supporting us. Uh, and if you can't support us on Patreon, we understand, but you still want to participate in the show, go ahead and send those questions into the Q and Podcast Questions channel. And again, specify the show that it's for, so that Matt and I don't have to thumb wrestle for with that folks
1: yeah my thumb's freakishly long it's really you don't want you don't want anything to do with this thing
0: it's true it really is but with that folks we'll see you next week